Quinn, I can't believe your belly. It's huge. What? Thank you. You're welcome. Um, I've been working really hard on it for about four months. I can't believe it. Well, dear readers, Quinn, (laughs) this is a compliment. If this is your first time listening to our podcast, (laughs) don't. Yeah, I think you should leave it at that, actually. That's how body pause we are, baby. We're always working on the belly. (laughs) Bigger is better, I always say. Quinn is with child. And so your belly, I can't believe... I ha- I mean I hadn't seen it like that. Yeah. It looks so beautiful. I mean, may the Lord open. May the Lord open under her eye. Yeah, his eye. But I say under her eye. Under my boobs is under an enormous under boobs <laughs> belly. So I'm sitting, dear readers, if you, I, I don't know what you've heard in the last uh, couple episodes, but I don't know what you've heard about f- me, but I don't know if you've heard about me, but my feet fall asleep like super easily, like brags, no brags. So I'm sitting on like a yoga bolster in sort of like a supported malasana. Isn't that the one where you like do this guy? Yeah. Okay. So in a supported malasana and I'm wearing biker shorts and because uh, I just went running for 20 minutes. Again, guys, relax. This isn't a brag. Um, and <laughs> so I'm fully sitting like squat position and my boobs are like jacked up. <laughs> it is. It's pretty intense. <laughs> like we're not made for anything other than podcasting, it turns out, because this is it turns the out, most inappropriate is- I've ever seen. Truly, Quinn's pregnant and I look like I'm about to get pregnant. You know what I mean? Like, and so I'm sitting here like, and I'm afraid to touch my skin, my knees, because it goes like this. Oh, yeah. And dear readers, you'll be able to hear that. So I'm like. It's very awkward. I don't know. Most awkward position. And I'm pregnant and Carrie's asking for it. And away we go. And away we go. You're listening too. Truly. Darkly creepy. I'm that's Quinlan, Quinlan Posner. Posner. And that's and Carrie Ipema. Carrie Ipema. That's a perfect way. To- and that <laughs> is as good as this show ever gets. Oh, I, so I have um, two things I want to tell you. Okay. Thing number one. Um, I did something super fun this week without your permission because I just do whatever I want. Um, mm-hmm. That's how I live my life, and I'm not going to apologize to you or to anybody. She didn't. She didn't come here to make friends, folks. She came here to podcast. Um, we have some new Patreon subscribers. Um, and I sent them their $7 subscribers, which is Ugh, means they get to less. suggest a story for us to do. Um, and I sent them jib-jab cards of us. <laughs> like roller skating, like it's like you and I roller skating and singing "Can't Get Enough of Your Love, Babe." <laughs> Do you like that? Wait, I'm dying to see it. Well, we Can told you send- the dear readers in the um seven dollar category that we would send them a personalized card. So I wrote to each of them individually and sent them a card of us uh, a jib jab. Was the card of choice? Can you choice. send it to me though? Absolutely. I, I mean, I just think it's funny. I did it without sending it to you first, or even telling you. I mean, I think that feels like that feels on par. That feels that right. Actually, yeah, that feels like it makes total sense for our relationship. Absolutely. The other thing I wanted to tell you about is that we had a dear reader leave a death threat. No, it's <laughs> it's a good question. So I'm just going to read it to you, and we can address it. Um, okay, so Michael asked us on one of our latest Instagram posts. Um, he said, Truly Darkly Creeply has made me wonder, has doing this show and learning these stories changed anything about how you approach the world? That's a really good question, dear reader. Um, so I kind of just sprung that on you and I've had a little more time to think about it. And what I <laughs> realized is um, I Actually, it hasn't changed me that much. And the reason why is that I am a true crime lunatic person and I'm saturated in it where I watch true crime TV, true crime 
movies. I read true crime. I listen to true crime podcasts. Right. So I, by doing that, it has changed how I walk and live in my life, how I walk my life, because I definitely think everyone's going to kill me. Like when I walk around <laughs> Prospect Park, I don't leave the main path because if I do and one person walks by me, even if they're a woman, it doesn't matter because I know women have done crazy things too, even if they're a couple, because I know couples have done crazy things. I will be like, it's likely you are going to try to murder me right now or kidnap me. So I need to think about that. And the entire time I'm walking by them, I'm thinking like what I would do. I'm strategizing constantly. So I live an anxiety filled life. You live by life. a code. I live by a code. Um, you live by a certain code where it's just fear of everyone. It's not, it's not. <laughs> they do have medication for the code I live by. Thank God. Um, I'm not on it currently. The clinical name would be anxiety. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's my code. And I walk around pretty sure everyone's going to kill me. And most hmm. of the people I have in my life that I'm close to have been in my life for years and years and years. So I'm like, I've vetted them pretty well. Um, <laughs> at this point, I'm 90% sure I'm not friends with any one that's going to kill me. Only 90, I don't know. though. I've learned from this podcast that people can switch on a dime. No, I feel like I love... <laughs> Law and Order SVU. That's sort of like where the love of true crime, and I'm saying true crime in air quotes, folks, because I don't know if you've seen the disclaimer, is but all of the people on that show are fictitious and any relation to a real person is purely fictional. But I think with these stories, what's changed me, I think, is they've given me a bit more depth in terms of true crime, where it's like we are dealing with real people, we are dealing with real victims real perpetrators, real criminals. And I know it's a comedy podcast, but it still does. I want to give these people, these victims, I think you want to tell their stories. I want to tell their story. And I think just even the craziest stories, there are real life victims. And I think having some reverence for those folks. Yeah, we didn't have to live that shit. We just exactly tell you about it. Also, do you think that our odds go down in like that the odds of us being murdered or uh, kidnapped go down at all because we talk about it so much that we would um, maybe be um, more immune to trepidatious it. of approaching a strange person or helping them. I'm going to go this far. If tomorrow I get murdered, oof, even saying it's scary. If I get murdered tomorrow, you bet your ass our podcast will get so many Patreon subscribers. I can't even tell you. And, and I'll cover it in the next episode. Is that how you think I'd handle that? I'd be like, next yes. episode, the story, next episode of Carrie Ipema. <laughs> and you would try to solve who killed me. And then, I think well, that's what happened. No, because don't you realize that I would get really rich and famous through this podcast um, <laughs> because of all the articles that would be written about how crazy it was, like murder podcaster, murdered. And then... A few years down the line, they would, of course, discover that I had killed you so that right. for my success, obviously. Oh, my God. And then this would become incriminating evidence. Yeah. They'd listen to this wow. and be like, well, and there then, she was admitting it. I don't know why we it, didn't listen earlier. I guess it's because we then, can't get through their annoying chatter. <laughs> any other true crime comedy podcast would cover it and they would have this exact conversation. <gasps> oh, my God. It's getting too meta almost. <laughs> I don't, is there such a thing as too meta? <laughs> All right, I'm going to dive in. Wait, hold on. No, I'm diving. Don't dive. That was the couch. And I'm not on a couch, but that was something that made a fart noise. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it wasn't me. Don't lie I was to the readers. <laughs> so I'm going to tell you this story that's actually, um, it, like in the news recent, like happening, <gasps> which is always a risk because the truth is, um, when I'm so excited, kind of scary to do because you're like, what do I know? I know very little, but yes. what I do know, I got from tabloids, so it must be true. Um, Wait, tabloids? Essentially, so, um, but they're British tabloids, so they've still got some class. Am I right? Or you know, am I, I right? love a British. You know, I love a British tabloid. You know, I love it. They probably have a name for tabloids in Britain, like trash. 
<laughs> the trash. No, tabbies. they wouldn't say tabbies. Yeah, I bet it's tabbies or something adorable. <laughs> not tabbies, oh, but I love British. that. Okay, so to be British. My sources are the East London Advertiser, The Mirror, The Guardian, Metro UK, Daily Mail, and Independent. Those are all mm. my sources. Um, the story I'm going to tell you is the story of Jessica Nordquist. So we'll start with this guy, Mark Weeks. He is cute, handsome guy. He works for a video advertising company. They're called Unruly, and they're based in Whitechapel, East London. I'm sorry, Whitechapel? You mean for like last week's fucking Whitechapel He's a time traveler, and he's Jack the Ripper. Oh my god, this is like Doctor Who. Leather apron. All right. (laughs) Jessica Nordquist is a 25-year-old American, originally from Alaska. She actually went to Northern State University in South Dakota, And she has come to the UK to advance her career. She's moving there from New York, and she moves in June of 2017. She starts work with Mark Weeks at Unruly. Her job is actually um, extremely ironic. She's a solutions engineer, which you're going to find out later why that's so ironic. Because let's just say she's not very good at, like, coming up with healthy solutions and they start dating uh pretty much right away and they date for like three months but things sort of reach a natural conclusion shall we say um i think he broke up with her i felt like by everything i read i would guess he broke up with her um (laughs) so she is oh poor jessica yeah um or poor jessica and he breaks up with her in november uh Again, of 2017. Um, So we hit December, and that's when the emails start coming. Not just emails to Mark Weeks, but also to his colleagues at the office and to his clients that he's doing business for. And the emails are from all kinds of various accounts. The main deal in the emails is a rape accusation. So... One message said, you should know Mark and Unruly have covered up the most atrocious crime ever. One read that he raped her and that he someone had assaulted an employee and that the person that did that was still going to work and they were all trying to cover it up. So obviously not great for business at Unruly that these crazy emails are going out to clients. Um and well, Mark, I mean, it's in the name. The company is called Unruly. I mean, what did they think they were going to get? <laughs> really, that's the most ironic thus far. I can't <laughs> wait to find out about the solutions the engineer situation. Obviously, all the accusations are making him look really bad, even if they don't necessarily seem like they're coming from a reputable source because no one really knows who's sending these emails. Um, but they make the whole company seem dodgy. Mark's getting depressed and anxious, and he said he didn't know what was coming next. It felt like his whole life is on hold. Jessica ends up setting up a fake account for him so that she could send out confession emails to make it seem like he was owning up to the things she's accusing him of. Oh, my God. But the messages don't even end there. They're fucking like, all over the place. Mark gets a message about a burglary at his home, but he never replies. Um, Also, while he was working from home, a reindeer that was bought for him, not a real reindeer, um, (laughs) that was bought for him by his workmates as a Christmas gift, his workmates. I definitely copy pasted that. I would never say somebody's (laughs) a workmate. That's so ridiculous. His workmates. His workmates at the tabbies and unruly. Um, (laughs) Well, he was at his flat. You guys, I apologize. And Um, they were dubious. What did you? There was another word you said that I was like, would we say that? I don't know. um, I don't know. I try to put things in my own words. I promise. I copy pasted workmates. Um, (laughs) Anyway, that was the reindeer was bought for him as a gift, and it goes missing from his desk. And guess where it's later found. In front of his in front of his house, like they do it in the Midwest where they have two and they mount them on top of each other. 
No, but Is that's that a really right? good guess. They, of course, Thank they you. find it at Jessica's house. You dumb dumb. She's of the culprit. Like, spoiler alert: there's no uh, mystery in this story. Jessica also writes these crazy emails to him that have like allusions to chess. They feel very um, sort of like a movie, like James Bondish. Um, she writes him things like, "If you can." protect the queen she is the most valuable piece on the board she protects your king or in another email she wrote the queen will have some words tomorrow did you not know she is worth 26 million dollars i don't know what that's a reference to but i think sounds she's like purple crown immersive i think purple crown immersive should hire her she sounds like a kick-ass clue writer honestly she's thumbs up to her she's definitely got a wild imagination i wouldn't deny that <laughs> but her messages are super creepy she'll write him like what he's wearing that day when she's not around you know so he's like knows he's being watched uh, so i feel like that's the that is the one that hurts the most is feeling like someone's watching you well, and her go somehow Ugh. getting to his desk and taking things from it like just and like things like a rain like a little reindeer like garbage it's just it feels like it's either comes from a place of being really obsessed with him, well, which it does, but also like wanting him to power. feel unsettled. Yeah, wanting power. So during all this episode of stalking, Mark's boss is like, you know what? You should maybe take a week's like a few weeks off. Um, and he mm-hmm. gives him something called You're Gonna Die, Compassionate Leave. Which is a thing, which in America, yeah. we don't have like maternity leave almost. So I was like, compassionate leave? What the fuck is that? Like my eyes rolled out of my head when I read that. I'm 0% surprised in that. I'm 0%. Oh, I was convulsing. Compassionate leave. It's like, I think it's the same as like if you have a death in the family or something. It's like when there's some sort of like stress yeah, it just seemed like yeah. a very non-American thing to offer. Yeah. Um. So he, meanwhile, is like, I'm going to get off social media. I'm deleting my accounts. and But first, I'm going to take all the shit that's come through, and I'm going to forward it to the police. So he's making all the right decisions. Um, And then Jessica's just desperate now. She's sort of just doing anything she can to keep holding his attention and have him be focused on her. So she's mm-hmm. leaving him like handwritten notes on his bike, on his desk. She's like, do you want to meet for coffee? And he's like, you know, hard pass. So <laughs> That's she... going to be a no for me, dog. <laughs> <laughs> she starts sending him like angry texts after that. And the following month, she tells him she's eight weeks pregnant. But that she isn't going to keep the baby. Um, and this is in December. Okay. So were they together two months prior? Was the was the timeline right for his child? Yeah, they would have been because they broke up in November. Holy shit. Okay. This is like after the holidays have passed. So Jessica sends him a message on Instagram that says, I'm telling people at work that I had an abortion. And if they ask with who, I'll say you. Then she posts an message on her own account claiming not to be herself but saying that she's a friend of jessica's posting and she just wants everyone to know what's going on and that unfortunately jessica took an overdose but we know this is jessica posting it's definitely jessica posting she's the solutions engineer jessica indeed great from from alaska great correct so mark does the right thing He calls the police. January 6th, she posts, I actually, I was excited about this find. One of the articles screenshotted an Instagram post she has, and it's a screenshot of the post. So you can't read the whole thing. You can only read what's visible in the image. Yeah. And when I tried to find her account, obviously it's not public or not there um, anymore. Right. But I'm going to read you guys what she posted on her account on January 6th. Yes. (laughs) I had a medical abortion three weeks ago that failed. Turns out, stayed pregnant only to miscarry. My counselor said sometimes the only way to heal is to share. 
even when it's hard. Courage, she, sa- she said. So this is my story. I have post-abortion syndrome. It's a form of PTSD. I'm filled with relief, anxiety, and depression that comes out of nowhere and the odd sense that my body still isn't my own. Ten weeks of having something grow inside of you can really mindfuck you when you're not ready for it. Did you know how much a person's emotions and traits change in the first ten weeks of pregnancy? Well, mine changed in a landslide. Because they changed so drastic, I was deemed crazy. I will take that. I will own that. I will accept that. My body, and unfortunately, that is where it's cut off. So I don't know what came next. But I want you guys to keep that message in your head because stuff regarding it is going to come up later. But also, she's obviously explaining, you could say, or you could say excusing all the stalker behavior by saying, look, this happened to me. It was traumatic. If you heard that I was acting like a crazy stalker, just so you know, it was because I was pregnant. Six days later on January 12th, she starts sending messages to herself and to Mark. These are emails, I believe, but she's making them look. sending to herself. Okay. To both both Mark and herself as a third party. (sighs) She's making them look like they're someone else. Um, And she keeps telling Mark, Jessica, kind of what she's trying to do that's actually kind of would be smart if it wasn't so transparent that it's her, is she's trying to make them victims now together. Right. Right? She's trying to be like, oh, we're both in this. Should we hold hands or? Should you come over and take care of me? Yeah. So (laughs) um, an email on January 13th read, you are going to meet at 3 p.m. at Shoreditch Grind, which is a cafe. Um, if neither of you show, we're going to release your past secrets around the office. We will come for you. So, wait, <laughs> Jessica, does she still work at the office? I have to say that I looked and looked to try to see when she was let go, and I couldn't find that out. So I'm. I'm deliberately leaving that out of my coverage of this story because I don't want to get it wrong. Because it can't confirm. I I just don't know. I don't know when they fired her. But it seems like if they were giving Mark time off uh, for compassion, maybe she was still working there at the time. I don't know. It's so hard to say. Remember, she wasn't sending him a lot of these weird emails from her. Right. Uh, She was creating shadow accounts. Yeah. Is that what you call that? I kind of just made I don't know. it up, but I feel like I must have seen it on TV. I've heard of shadow accounts, and as soon as you said it, I was like, that's what those are. I okay, wonder why cool. they're called that. I Let's just say shadow accounts, you have the definition now. Done. Boom. It's here. So Mark gets this message. So does Jessica, obviously. Um, Mark obviously also decides to not go to that meeting at Shoregrind or whatever. Uh, Shoreditch Grind. In Shoreditch. Uh, and he gets a follow-up email that says, I gave you both a chance to show up. Tick tock, the rabbits got fucked. <laughs> I love that email. Do you love that? I love it when you're telling me, but I gotta tell you, if I had an email in my inbox that was like, the rabbit tick tock, the rabbits get fucked, I'd be like, um, hi, it's me, Carrie. Can someone help me? Please. This just gave me like a thousand more questions. I was like, who are the rabbits in this story? Is this a deliberate reference to um, what's that Glenn Close movie? Oh, um, Fatal Attraction. Yes. Because it feels. Never seen it. Oh, my. Well, it's what it sounds like. So it feels (laughs) like it mirrors this. So I was like, whoa, reference to rabbits. I'm totally creeped. And TikTok, I love because. Um, clearly she had just watched the 2008 thriller starring Al Pacino called 88 Minutes because the bad guy in that movie is always like TikTok, TikTok. Haven't seen that movie. This reminds me of my Instagram stalker of last year. So <laughs> do you think your Instagram stalker was Jessica Nordquist? I think it was Jessica Nordquist. Most of the messages that they got during this time were signed off with TikTok Mark Weeks. So TikTok was 
the thing. It was a theme. It was a motif. If this was a prologue orchestration, that would be the theme for TikTok. Okay, gotcha. So despite all these emails not being from Jessica, they're from Jessica, and she's issued a first instance harassment warning on January 24th. Two days later, on the 26th, she's arrested, interviewed, and released under investigation. When the officers go to her home, they find a bunch of SIM cards for various networks in her purse and in her trash can, and they seize her phone and whatever, her iPad, Mm -hmm. and they find searches in it that are about how to send fake emails and and searches about stalking. She'd also created like 20 Instagram accounts that were all in place just to harass Mark. Oh. But she's like, oh, yeah. Is I Mark was... hot? <laughs> yeah, he's cute. He is cute. Oh. He's not. Is he single now, do you think? <laughs> and ready to try again. <laughs> Give him a call. I feel like he and I have a lot in common. We've both been sort of like online harassed a little bit, like something to bring us together. They have socialized health care. Like, Mark, where you at? Carrie's right here. You ready for this long distance relationship, Mark? Every relationship is long distance right now. We're in quarantine, baby. That's a good point. Mark, the sexual tension between us is mounting. Now it sounds like I'm a stalker. I've got to backtrack this. This is not going to be great on our first meeting. <laughs> nope. Ay, 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 ay. <laughs> when she's arrested again, January 30th, four days later, police find searches on her computer for fake babies. And a silicon baby bump had been ordered on <gasps> Amazon. And look, I'm going to say this. <laughs> I, I, oh my God, Posner, so dark. I like a silly prank as much as the next guy. But um, fake babies, <laughs> you should just put away in fake boxes. You should never unwrap them because that. I'm sorry. Nobody likes fake babies. I mean, the ruse and also a silly prank. I would not describe this as a silly prank. Well, this no, I, is... the reason I describe it as such is actually that when she's questioned about it, she's like, oh, I ordered that to be funny. It's for a baby shower for a joke. We were going to like make the guys wear it. Um, but in the oh same research history, she had researched whether police can track where emails are sent from. And I'm just going to go out on a limb and say, that was probably not for the baby shower <laughs> that she researched that. <laughs> <laughs> She's engineering solutions left and right. I mean, listen, she just couldn't figure out how the internet worked, did she? I mean, that's it's, the thing. It's wild. She couldn't figure out the dang dong internet. <laughs> uh February 23rd, she is charged with one count of stalking and two counts of malicious communications. And she's bailed uh, to later appear at the Snaresbrook Crown Court on May 4th. So Wait, of this year? May 4th of 2018. She's in trouble, though. She knows it. Uh, things have gotten serious. It's like this. She's starting to see some real consequences for her actions. So um, she's got like a month before this court date to try to figure out what her next solution she should engineer <laughs> yes indeed and what she comes up with is like bananas flambe psychotic you're gonna fry it up saute that fucking nana and get some brandy and let's light her up there's so much brandy on this on april 19th her family friends colleagues and of course her ex mark get an email from an alleged crime group. In this email, they say that they have raped and kidnapped Jessica. Was this another silly prank? Not funny. Read the room, Jess. Uh, read the room. In Mark's email specifically, I know that it said, you're going to die. Jessica Nordquist is the one who has been protecting your children from us. We raped and stole her tonight. Not only... Has she been kidnapped? But Carrie, it turns out she was the one who's been protecting our children. And I've been dying to know who does that. Jessica, (laughs) thank you for all that you do for the rest of us. Carrie (laughs) might not appreciate it fully, but Quinn does. Quinn does. I mean, 
I just, <laughs> she cast herself as, it's wild. You know what? Good for her. Shoot for the stars. So attached <laughs> to the email are photographs of her in her undies, bound and gagged. No. Yeah. So then. Self-timer or like selfie stick style? Like what's going on? How did she <laughs> take it? see the selfie stick, it would be so good. <laughs> Wait, I just, I would. <laughs> I, I mean, it's so not funny, but like the process of her being like, okay, 10, 30 second timer. Okay. Do, 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 do. Like, like picturing. Starting it. Uh-huh. Oh my it's God. It's kind of funny. It's kind of funny. So then more emails come with a flourish that um, they've broken her fingers. And one of the emails tells Well, then you Mark, know it's not her because you couldn't type with broken fingers. The, oh my, good point. I didn't think of that. Mm-hmm. I did. You are detectiving. This email, so Mark gets an email that says uh, he needs to reply by the next morning. Of course, he calls 999 like you do when you're when you're in England. When you've got you call 999. You call 999. And he shows the email to policemen and officers. So they go to her uh, apartment in Whitechapel and things look weird like she's kind of staged it to look a bit askew. And then there's a note from the kidnappers on the door. I looked high and low for the contents of that note because you know Jessica wrote that note and it's got to be so good. It was probably signed SBTC. And for those of you who got that reference, you are my people. SBTC? Do you know who's, what note is signed SBTC? The Jean, no. the Jean Benet Ramsey uh no it's you haven't SBTC. done that one yet it's just okay <laughs> you but can't for anyone who got that before it. i explained it i love you um so she doesn't love me i cannot find yeah carrie you're off the list not invited to thanksgiving um <gasps> no i would never do that to you calm down oh, thank god um so the officers launched an investigation but can i just say i'm if anyone is better at this than me and i'm sure a lot of you are. Find me that fucking note. I need to know what Jessica wrote. I just know it's so good and I'm missing it. Okay, so the officers launch an investigation and the same night that she, in quotes, vanished, she was caught on CCTV alone at Houston Station wearing a wig. So I've been to Houston Station. God, I am Jessica. She is me. We are one. I hope Mark heard that. On, no, Mark. <laughs> you're listening. <laughs> on April 21st, two days later, they find Jessica at a B&B in Aviemore in the Scottish Highlands. When they approach her, she gives them a false name and she starts acting like kind of cuckoo where they're like, we think we should take you to see a doctor to make sure you're even fit mentally to be detained. And then she ends up trashing two cell phones in a bathroom trash can. She's also just traveling with wigs and other disguise stuff. She was probably going to a baby shower that was also a costume she, party. You know what she loved? She loved the movie Gone Girl. She fucking... Yes. She loved, loved that, that movie. movie. Wait. She's traveling with all these fun, fanciful disguises and Loves a cosplay, this one. Yeah, she doesn't know how long she's going to be on for. She doesn't know how Fair. long her money's going to stretch. She also has booking confirmations, though, printed out old school. See, she is an old person, it feels like. She doesn't know how the internet works. She still prints out her confirmations of where she's staying, which and is like... A... she used MapQuest. <laughs> totally. <laughs> she had directions on MapQuest with her. <laughs> so... On April 23rd, Jessica is charged with two counts of stalking, two counts of sending malicious communications, and one count of perverting the course of justice. She's found guilty on all counts by the jury, and she appears at the Thames Magistrate's Court where she pleads not guilty to all the offenses. She has this bizarre... She declared... She she pled not guilty to everything. Well, do you want to know what happened? Well, duh. Of course I do. Okay, so she was kidnapped in real life, actually, she says, by this guy that was kind of like James Bond, basically. She met him at a (laughs) Soho bar, and he was an M15 agent. His name was Max Brown. Max Brown. Typical M15 Max Brown. Yeah. So he handed her a manila envelope, and inside... 
she found photos of her and Mark, her ex, having sex. And basically, the photos were taken via a secret camera that was installed in a light bulb in her apartment. So. Wait, wait. Did she produce these photos? No. I was, well, I was wondering if she did and then she would be charged oh, with, like, God. taking fake photos, like taking un- non-consensual You know what? When she was having photos. sex with Mark, I don't think she thought that this was where the relationship was headed. So she didn't have the foresight to take good blackmail photos. Let that be a lesson right. for the rest of us. Everyone, if you anyone gets in the sack, you start taking blackmail photos stat if you know it's good for you. Immediately. So immediately. What happened to her after meeting Max Brown and getting these blackmail photos from him was that <laughs> oh on, on April 19th, three men, including 007 Max Brown, come to her apartment and rape her. She was then kidnapped and taken to Scotland on a train. And after they arrived, she met another man who told her where to go next. She says, I met a Middle Eastern looking guy and he called me by my first name and told me to go to a park beginning with K. So basically, they sent her on a scavenger hunt, it sounds like. Um, either, either he gave her a scavenger hunt clue or she forgot the park's name. I'm not totally clear. Either way, go on, Jessica. We're listening. In the park, she meets another person who tells her to go to an Airbnb. So she goes and sits on the street outside the Airbnb where she's collected in a uh, silver car by the men from the night before, the bad guys. He, no, the man from the night before. So I don't know if that's the Middle Eastern one. It's hard to, it's hard to totally get the story straight for me, but um, I am like it interested. wasn't totally clear for her. Um, <laughs> So he, this man takes her to the bus station and he's like, buy a ticket to Aviemore. But after she buys the ticket, he actually drives her to a hostel. So they're just very sneaky, this foreign faction that's abducted her. Have her buy a ticket, but actually drive her. They're really trying to like cover up their tracks. At the hostel, he hands her a rose gold iPhone and then disappears. Love that detail. She checks into the hostel and then sits outside and waits. That is where the cops find her. Cool story, Jessica. This is, to borrow a term, mento. (laughs) (laughs) What? I mean, it sounds like the question is, does she believe it or is she just covering her own shit up? Like, that's the question. I don't think she's that level crazy. I really don't. Okay. All right. So the prosecutor is like, cool story, Jessica, and reads Mark's victim (laughs) statement, but sort of just paints a picture of what kind of life Mark had during the stalking, how he felt unsafe in his home. He was scared all the time. He would get texts from unknown numbers saying he was being watched in his home. He was just, he was like terrified. And um, when he went out, it sucked because he was kind of like looking over his shoulder vibes, like didn't know, like he didn't know if someone had followed him or was there watching him so he couldn't really live a normal life and then also this you know jessica was texting other people in his life too like his brother got at least a mess one message that referred to um his children in it so like that's a line you cannot cross with people for sure it was really disturbing so so judge paul southern adjourned sentencing to a date to be fixed and remanded Jessica in custody. And he said, I cannot see how an immediate custodial sentence can be avoided. The question is the length of it. I am concerned about having the information I need about Jessica Nordquist. During the period these offenses were committed, Miss Nordquist was admitted to a psychiatric facility. We know that the police were concerned enough when they found her at Aviemore to take her to have mental health assessment. So basically... The judge, I think, is like, I don't know what to do yet because I actually don't know how crazy you are. D.C. Joanne Farrell, formerly of the com- Community Safety Unit at Tower Hamlets, said after the hearing, Infatuation or revenge, Nordquist's motivation remains unknown. She pursued a relentless campaign of stalking, culminating in faking her own kidnap and assault that caused immense distress and embarrassment to the victim, his colleagues and loved ones, and even her own family. 
Throughout the investigation and trial, Nordquist has shown she is a compulsive liar and deeply manipulative. She was offered numerous opportunities to admit her offending and receive help, but she repeatedly refused to do so, forcing the need for a trial. Her actions diverted police resources from real victims of crime. Her lack of technical expertise and clumsy attempts to cover her tracks by hiding in plain sight ultimately led to her conviction. I just read you that because I think it's like a very clear breakdown and I think it's all right. And also it got to me when they were like, it's sort of hard not to find the comedy and how crazy faking your own kidnapping is. But when you break it down and you're like, she was, all these cops had to be on this, that whatever, the taxpayers are paying for it and their time's better spent on real crime. Like you can't run around and do fakesies crime. And not to get all capitalism on this, but the fact that, like, Mark had to take compassionate leave, like, compassionate leave, like, a lot of people bent over backwards to serve her motive and what she wanted, and a lot of people's lives were inconvenienced. Like, she, I mean, yeah, I think th- that's a fucking crime. The question is, is I wonder how, like, whether she believed it, whether she well, had so- a break. The defense lawyer blamed the offenses on on said that Norquist had a traumatic early childhood prior to being adopted by her parents in Alaska. So she was adopted and they kept saying her appalling start to life. And I was like, her appalling. Was she like horribly abused by the family she did have? I looked and looked. And again, I could find almost nothing about what the trauma in her life was, except there's a brief mention in a couple articles about her having an eating disorder when she was young. And I don't know what age she was adopted at. Um, So I'm not really sure what that's about. But the judge does end up saying this. I am satisfied that your early traumatic experiences have shaped your personality. That does not excuse or justify your offending behavior, but it does help explain it. So she is found guilty on two counts of stalking, two counts of sending the malicious communications, one count of perverting the course of justice. And as far as we know, she's still maintaining her innocence. Um, She was sentenced to going to jail for two years and six months for the stalking charge and then two more years for the kidnapping incident. And then there's a two-year sentence for the malicious communications, but they're running it um, concurrently. Exactly. So she's going to serve at least half of her sentence behind bars and she will be – she'll have to have like an indefinite restraining order where she can't talk to Mark ever. And she also, when she gets out, she faces deportation. Which we get her back, America. Damn it. (laughs) Um, You can keep her. You can keep her. And I also read an article that was sort of just about how Mark is so upset by the fact that she was able to open so many online accounts without any sort of barrier to stop her from doing that. Um, And it feels like he's sort of fighting for companies to not let their platforms be weaponized and that they need to try to make sure the accounts people open are real. He's also was just frustrated the whole time of how long it takes to deal with the data that comes in. He said, with my case, there was a lot of unwanted communication, but there was a lead time of several weeks before it was possible to get a trace. In an ideal world, the law would change so police would have direct access to the information they need while safeguarding rights. That to me is like tale as old as time, a tall order. We don't really know how to do both those things, right? Right. Yeah. Um, how to protect our privacy and how to get to the bottom of it quicker. So hard to say. But I think he was annoyed because he knew immediately it, that it was that her. That it was her. Like it came well, right around so when crazy. she lied about being pregnant. Uh, right around when she lied about attempting to kill herself, she'd come to his house during that time uninvited and had acted crazy. So then when he started getting emails after those three things happened, he was like, it's Jessica. I know that it's her. And I think he was telling the police that and they still had to do all these things to make sure. But they say that they hope the police say that they hope that her sentence would encourage more male victims who are usually like reluctant to come forward right. they're like embarrassed to report yeah. stalking they're embarrassed to report domestic abuse i remember there was a case where some guy reported stalking and the police officer said he should be flattered or something yeah 
Yeah. Like, well, that's the, that that definitely thought that thought definitely crossed my mind. I that's mean, so and what tough. we always see with stalkers is that it escalates, right? So, well, that's like all this behavior just escalated and escalated and escalated. I'm just glad that Mark wasn't. I mean, he was emotionally hurt, but I'm glad he wasn't physically harmed. No, it, in this case, she didn't hurt anybody. She just got kookier and kookier. Um, so, I mean, we don't know where it would have gone, but uh, faking your own kidnapping right. is pretty cuckoo so it's cuckoo crazy banana cocoa puffs look guys just report your stalkers okay well sometimes you don't have enough to report them report them frame them frame your stalkers (laughs) frame your stalkers that's the lesson we're going with today and for all the many, many people in law enforcement that listen to Truly Darkly Creepily. Right. Yeah, this um, is for you guys. Listen to those reports. Yes. Thanks for sharing. Quinlan Posner. Carrie Ipema. Are you ready for mine? I'm ready. Okay. I was born ready. So there's this guy. I found this information on Wikipedia, whorehistory.net, and WYO history. And I don't know if you know that short-term bitch. That's Wyoming history. Okay. <laughs> Any questions? No. Okay. So there's this guy. His name is George Barrow. I don't know how to speak French. You know, I just don't. And I'm terrible at it. So just relax. But it's spelled, do you speak French at all? Affluently, but I, I'm going to pretend <laughs> I don't for the sake. I don't want to embarrass you. Wait, P-A-R-R-O-T-T. How would you say that? Parrot. (laughs) Right? It looks like parrot. Okay. So there's this guy, George Parrot, Perot, however you say the fuck his name. He's from um, Mount Belliard, France. I don't know how you say it. Just keep doing the fake thing. Just keep acting like he's was. He was born in Mont Belliard, mm-hmm. France. Okay. Oh. Um, thank you. And he came over this Georges Perrault. He came over, he was born um, in 1834, and I don't know if you're familiar with what was happening, but bitch, why do I keep saying bitch today? I'm not into it. It's because I can't not move my hands because they're here. This is where they live now because I can't make any noise because of the friction. Okay. So this guy, George Perrault from Montbelliard, France, he was born in 1834. He came over to the U.S. and he was amongst those folks who were manifest destinying the Wild Wild West. So he was there during Wild Wild West times. He actually had some nicknames and I want to go over some of his aliases and I will end on the one that I will call because that's what he's known as. Okay, so his he had um the names George Manus. George Warden, Big Beak Perot, and finally Big Nose George. <laughs> Yikes. He was a Frenchman. I think he had a big nose or it's because his last name was Parrot. We don't know, but I think he did have, I look at pictures, he did have a pretty large schnoz. Seems like it might have been both, unfortunately. I think it was a it was a double entendre, <laughs> if you will, with the friends. Okay. So he was a cattle rusher and he was a highwayman. <laughs> Why do they say that so funny? He was a highwayman. Do you know a what a highwayman is? No. A highwayman. A highwayman? A highwayman. A highwayman was someone who would like stop wagons and shit and trains and just rob people when they're on the go. Got it. So he was just a bad guy. They're really popular in the 19th century um, in the Wild West, right? It was lawless over there, folks. Mm -hmm. So he had a group of people he robbed with. We'll call them his gang, if you will. And they were robbing and doing all this shit. And at one point, it was like a train happened. They kept explaining what it was, and I couldn't totally understand. But essentially, as they took like a piece of wire and they moved it, hoping to get the train to like jump track and get fucked Mm -hmm. so they could go and rob it. Mm -hmm. But some eagle eye conductor was like, that's not cool and fixed it. And they kept going. However, even though the robbery went awry, there were these two guys that were like, we got your number. We're coming after you. There was a sheriff deputy from Wyoming named Robert Whittlefield and the union Pacific detective tip Vincent. Come on. Get it's really real. good. It's really good. It's really good. Okay, so they were ordered to follow these guys and arrest them, right? To get them for this fucked up, this um this burglary gone awry, okay? 
So they track them to this place called Rattlestick Canyon in Wyoming. And a lookout from the gang saw the two detectives coming. And so they quickly stamped out the campfire and hid in the bush. The bush. The bush. (laughs) (laughs) I can't. I can't with this story. Okay. Well, you're doing it bilingually. That's really hard. Thank you. It's it was all in France. (laughs) (laughs) It was all in French and this is what I this is this is I did I put it in Google Translate and this is what I got. Okay. And I'm so worried about making other noises. That's why I look like I'm like talking like this because I can't make any fucking noises. Okay. Oh my god. So a lookout sees these two police law enforcement folks coming in and they're like quick hide they stamp out the fire and they hide in the bush so the um deputies come over the deputy and the union pacific detective come over and they notice that the fire was still hot so they weren't alone the gang is like oh shit we got busted we got to go on the offense no more defense for us folks and they ambushed the two they shot Widowfield in the face and then Tip Vincent went and tried to get the fuck out but he was shot in the back before he left so these two guys D.E.A.D. dead the robbers then took their weapons and one of their horses covered their bodies and left so when the bodies were discovered obviously people were like what we gotta find the guys who killed these jamokes well, we got to find the jamokes who killed these guys. Let's make the bad guys the bad guys. And there was a $10,000 bounty as a reward to find the killers. And then it got raised to $20,000. Okay, so there's a $20,000 bounty on these robbers' heads. Then about a year later, February 1879, Big Nose George and his buddies were in Montana. Okay, same deal. They were doing what they do. They were robbing. And they saw this guy named Morris Kahn. What happened was Morris was a well-to-do local merchant in this town in Montana. Morris had a relationship with the military, the U.S. military. And so he traveled with about 15 soldiers in a military convoy. And he had two officers. He had an ambulance and a wagon from a nearby fort, from a nearby military fort. And they were collecting and distributing army payroll. So they had a ton of money on them. But he had this huge group with him, right? So seemingly they should have been safe, right? Well, they were traveling, and they were traveling by this thing called a coulee. Not to be confused with Robert Goulet, but a coulee. Coulee, I don't know. Again, French, um, which is basically like a valley part of the terrain. So while they were walking along it, they had to sort of like, they were strung out, right? So when they were traveling down this path, the officers and the um, wagons were sort of separated, And so Big Nose George was like, I know what the fuck to do. So he hid at the end of this coulee and they were all wearing masks and he ambushed the front of the train, the front of this sort of like situation, captured them, captured. And then when the rear came up, they ambushed them as well. So they ambushed. I can't even speak right now. They ambushed. They amused Bushed. No, they (laughs) So they ambushed the full group and they ended up stealing about either it was between 3600 and 14000. It really depends on who you asked based on who was reporting it. But what I love about it is imagine 14000 in 1879. That's like a million dollars. Yeah. Right? Okay. In fact, the place the Coulee where they robbed this guy Morris Khan is now called Khan's Coulee. Cute. <laughs> in name. Montana cute name but like i think it'd be funny if it was called like big nose george kool-aid like how fun would that be Love like that. why is it named after the victim but i guess yeah have a little it fun should be it when you're naming it have thing. fun okay so that was 1879 in 1880 after the robbery and the murders of the um two officers um big nose george perot and his buddy charlie burns better known as dutch charlie they got shit-faced in a bar and were apparently bragging about robbing shit and killing those two guys and so the people around him were like oh my god they're worth twenty thousand (laughs) dollars we should turn them in right Mm -hmm. and so um 
They turned them in. They were arrested um, in Montana. And Perot was sent back to Wyoming to face charges for murder, right? So he was arraigned in like 1880 in September. He pled not guilty, not guilty. He just went back and forth. But obviously he was tried. He was found guilty. And he was sentenced to death by hanging on April 2nd, 1881. Okay. So after his trial, about two weeks before the planned execution, he was shackled on his ankles. That's how they and put in jail waiting his execution. And he somehow got a hold of a pocket knife and a piece of sandstone. And what he did was he filed the rivets on his ankle shackles down, right? Smart. Smart. Well, this is the wild, wild west, you know? So he's like shackling, he's like (laughs) sawing his shackles off, finally gets them off. Then he goes and he hides in the bathroom of his jail. Now the jailer is there. So he waits in the bathroom and he waits for the jailer to come in, which in reading this, I was like, wait. You have a private bathroom in jail? Like, great. (laughs) But I was like, a private bathroom in the jail? How cute. So, and yes, I said bathroom and not bathroom. (laughs) God, what is wrong with me today? Okay, so he's hiding in the bathroom. His shackles are off. He's holding them. He's waiting for the jailer to come in. The jailer comes in and Big Nose George takes his shackles and he slams it over the guy's head, fracturing his skull. They have a bit of a tussle and the jailer screams out for help. This is when the jailer's wife comes in. Her name is Rosa and she grabs a fucking pistol and she points it at Big Nose George and somehow... I read a couple of different accounts, one of which was she shot it in the air and the townspeople came to help or somehow she got him to go back in the jail cell and she locked him in and she got her husband. Something happened. But either way. Well, her husband's on the floor. He fractured up. his skull. He's, but he fought. He fractured his skull, but he was still fighting. And that's when she got called in. Yeah. But I love this girl, Rosa. Rosa from Montana, killing it, saving the fucking Working day. Working at the prison with her husband. I mean, it was a family affair. News of the attempted escape started circulating around town, right? So people, the hubbub, it was the townspeople. Imagine Beauty and the Beast. Do you know what I mean? I already was as soon as you started speaking with a bad French accent. I mean, this is Beauty and the Beast. So what happened was, is the townspeople all come in and they're like, we're going to get this guy. And again, the two accounts that I read were like a wee bit confusing Because one of them sort of made it sound at first like the townspeople were trying to help Perot escape. And then another account was that the townspeople were coming always with the motive of taking care of Big Nose George in their own mob-like way. Mm -hmm. So they stormed the jail. And at gunpoint, they apparently took the jailer's keys or they just got him. I don't know how they took the jailer's keys or they just got him out. Either way, they dragged Perot from the jail. Um, and then the group brought him to a mob of over 200 people. And this is where they lynched him. Apparently, they tried to hang him first from like a 12-foot rope. And then the rope broke. Whoa. Lucky. And so then they were like, yeah. But then they shackled his legs again. And they got this big-ass ladder. And they were like, climb it, big nose George. And he had to climb it. And he was like, I'll jump. Like, just let me jump. I'll die. But they were like, nope. And apparently he got, he was hung from his shackles. But either way, the weight of the shackles killed him from hanging. Not lucky. So he was hung. Not lucky. I mean, he was going to be hanged anyway, you know. But to lynch him is an aggressive thing, right? (laughs) Is that what I want to say? I don't think so. But that's what I've said. It's not wrong. Okay. It's not wrong. Um. So, by the way, you might be asking what happened to Dutch Charlie, his friend, who he was bragging about the murders and shit with. He was also lynched. He was on a train ride. And then locals found him in the baggage compartment and they basically hung him. And an interesting piece of information is the sheriff deputy, remember Widowfield, who was shot in the head? They put Dutch Charlie on a barrel and Widowfield's sister-in-law kicked the barrel out from underneath him, and that's how he hung. Mm-hmm. It was lawless out in the Wild West. I guess that's why they called it the Wild West. Okay. 
So this is where shit gets crazy. And you might go, Carrie, this is a weird story. Why did you tell it? Here's why. After Big Nose George's death, his body was unclaimed, right? Mm -hmm. I guess he wasn't beloved from all the robbing and murdering. Mm -hmm. Um, And so his body was given to doctors Thomas McGee and John Eugene Osborne, where they wanted to study his brain for criminality. Okay? Okay. Right. So, so what they did is they sawed off the top of his head and because I guess they didn't need that top of the head anymore, they gave it to this 15-year-old named Lillian Heath, who was the medical assistant to Dr. McGee and who eventually, this is a little interesting information about Dr. Lillian Heath, she became the first woman physician in the state of Wyoming and the first woman to practice medicine west of the Mississippi. Cool. Super cool. But she said to have used that skull cap as an ashtray, a pen holder. I knew you were going to say ashtray. I don't know why. A doorstop. She just was like, you know what? I have this great little bowl made out of a man's skull. Let's use it. So they created a death masks of Big Nose George's face. I guess that's why we know he has a big nose. His skin from his thighs, his chest... And his nipples were removed and sent to a tannery in Denver. To what end? Oh, that's a great that's a great question, Quinn. I was wondering when you'd ask that question. Well, they made a medicine bag and a pair of shoes out of Big Nose George's skin. I don't know. I kind of like this story. It's like the use. <laughs> it's like the old use everything you've got with the body. Use like, everything you've got. Why put it to waste? Sounds like they right? got an ashtray and a cool bag out of it so far. Well, Asher, go back and some shoes. Oh. Now, the shoes that were made from his skin were kept by Dr. Osborne, who uh, wore the shoes where, you ask? Oh, to the inaugural ball after being elected as the first governor of Wyoming in 1893. Oh, you like these? They're human. (laughs) What kind of leather is that? Human. He apparently, Osborne later served as um, the director of the Rollins National Bank, and he displayed the shoes made out of human skin in a glass case in the front lobby there. So the rest of the body was stored in a salt solution in a big old whiskey barrel, which I don't think anything gets more like Wild Wild West than that. But it was stored for about a year where they were continuing to do experiments on the body and the brain, and they eventually buried it in the backyard of Dr. McGee's office. They really didn't acknowledge this. And then in 1950, there was a bunch of construction going on in Wyoming, and some workers discovered the barrel. And so when they were digging, they opened the barrel, and they found the skull without a top to it and a bottle of vegetable compound. And there are reports that they found the shoes in that barrel. I don't think that's true. No, why Um, put a perfectly good pair of shoes in a barrel? A perfectly good pair. It's just wasteful, to be honest. So word got around that it was this Dr. McGee, and they were like, maybe it's Big Nose George. So they called Dr. Lillian Heath. So she's in her 80s. They call her up, and she's like, you know what? I do still have that skull. So she sends it back to the scene, and it fits like a fucking jigsaw puzzle piece absolutely perfectly. So again, there were some conflicting reports about whether the DNA was Big George, but I did read it on Wikipedia that the DNA was confirmed to be Big Nose George. Now, the shoes are on display at the Carbon County Museum in Rollins um, with the bottom part of the skull and the death mask. And then you can see the shackles used for the hanging and the skull cap, which is at the uh, Union Pacific Museum in Omaha, Nebraska. The medicine bag has never been found. <gasps> I have a medicine bag. It's making Do you think me it's made look from... at it differently. <laughs> Do you think it's human skin? I can only hope. Um, there are some theories, but they're pretty unfounded. But I'll just leave you with this one. There's a theory that George, Big Nose George, was a member of Butch Cassidy's Wild Bunch. But Butch was 14 at the time of Perot's death. So I just don't think that's possible. You don't think he was taking orders from a 14-year-old? I don't think he was, <laughs> but because at the time of his death, he was 14. That means like Butch was 12 and ordering around a grown man, which I just doubt that to be the case. But what made me look at this case was for sure the human shoes. The for sure the human skin shoes. Yeah. 
I mean, and you can look bring at the picture. Those back. Bring those back. <laughs> you can look at the human shoes and the front, it's like they look like old, old shoes, but the front is like white, like from his skin. That's so like gross. it's I can't. It's so, so like it's so gnarly. I just also love that. Oh look, sir, f- your shoes are your shoes are dirty. Do you need a shoe polish? <laughs> oh no, those are just freckles in a mole. It's not dirt. <laughs> Oh, that's my bad. Sorry. Enjoy your day. So... <laughs> they look like two-toned shoes. Like the front just looks like white pasty human ass skin. And but uh, the best part, I still think one of the best parts about it is that it was that the first governor of Wyoming wore human shoes to the inauguration ball. Like it's that so is and gross. The first governor like skinned a human and was like yeah let's make a medicine bag and a fucking pair of (laughs) shoes it's like buffalo bill from silence of the fucking lambs became a politician yeah it's nuts oh god (laughs) that's the story of big nose george put that in your medicine bag and smoke i actually couldn't wait to tell you that story i was really fucking excited about it it's a doze it is for sure a doze and of course, I was like, I really, I couldn't find a story I wanted to tell you yesterday. And then I stumbled on this and I was like, yeah, this is it. This is the one. <laughs> well, I think you chose correctly. Yeah. It gives a whole nother meaning. To... <laughs> Who are you wearing? You're going to, you're going to hear that so different when you watch the Oscars next. Who are you wearing? <laughs> Yeah, we'll post a picture of the shoes on our Instagram, folks. Absolutely, and that Absolutely. is a promise. And that, that is I a promise. <laughs> the rest of them can't keep. I have to pee, so I think we have to say goodbye. Okay, we have to say goodbye, not to each hey. other, but to the ge- the public at large. Um, dear, dear readers. readers, thanks for joining us today. We love you. We miss you, Quinn. I miss being in the same room as you. I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm never gonna complain about not being comfortable ever again. I know you're gonna. <laughs> Yeah, you're going to thank every moment you have with me when, oh, when you return. I'll... Praise be. Hey, dear readers, we love you. Thanks for supporting us. Thanks for listening to us. We hope you stay safe. And yeah, don't put babies your... in boxes. Don't put babies in boxes. Tell your friends to listen. And if you are uh, enjoying yourself, why not uh, write us a little reviewy thing? I think you like just click the, the old five-star button and then say, this is great. It take two seconds. But... Uh, Things like that matter. Far be it for me to understand why, but they do. <laughs> Bye, dear readers. Bye.